0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Energy Security Cubed, where we explore the pillars that form the nexus of energy security in Canada. Those are energy itself, economics, and the environment, hence Energy Security Cubed. I am your host, CEO and President of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, Kelly Ogle. Today's episode, which was recorded 27 April 2021, we discuss renewable energy in Canada and its role in energy security. We're happy to have join us today from Ottawa, Robert Hornung. Robert is the president and CEO of the Canadian Renewable Energy Association. Prior to this, Robert was president of the Canadian Wind Energy Association. Welcome, Robert. Happy to have you.
1: Oh, thank you very much. Pleasure to be here.
0: I think it would be great if you could give our listeners that may be unaware an overview of the Canadian Renewables Energy Association, who, who you are, what you do, how it formed. I know it's a, it's it's a put-together, Correct.
1: Yeah, the Canadian Renewable Energy Association is a new association that was formed in July of 2020 through an amalgamation of the Canadian Wind Energy Association and the Canadian Solar Industries Association. And we are now the the National Association for the Wind Energy, Solar Energy and Energy Storage Industries in Canada. Uh, We represent more than 275 companies that are working to deploy these technologies at multiple scales across the country from large utility scale wind and solar farms to the solar panels that somebody's putting on the roof of their home. And uh, as an association, our vision is to ensure that wind, solar and energy storage play a central role in transforming Canada's energy mix. And we work like all associations to support that vision through advocacy, communications and, uh, and education. And I think one thing that's unique about our association is although we're a national association, we do most of our advocacy work at the provincial level because that is where most of the decision making related to the electricity right. sector takes place so, so yeah pure, purely
0: electricity then really Robert right like yes. It, yes yeah it's a, um and I I'd really like to please make sure that we talk about uh, the storage part because I think that you know everyone has seen a wind has seen wind or solar in their life but I think that the especially when you d- discuss the economics of of these types of energy, the storage of, of the electrons in the future is really, uh, really, really important. What's the landscape look like? What are you, how are you finding the, um, you know, first about the amalgamation because they are different. And uh, where, where are you with, uh, is everything in place as far as you're concerned going forward on your advocacy program?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the new association came together in a recognition of the complementarity between these technologies. Uh, At the end of the day, there there are an increasingly small number of wind-only companies or solar-only companies. Companies are taking a multi-technology approach, and the complementarity between these technologies allows companies to provide a more comprehensive set of services to customers, whether it's electric utilities or system operators or homeowners, uh, in order to ensure they have clean, affordable, and reliable power going forward. So right now, in terms of the marketplace in Canada and and the opportunities that are here, I mean, it's not broadly known, but Canada is actually a global leader in these technologies. Uh, We're the ninth largest wind energy producer in the world. Uh, We're the 19th largest solar energy producer in the world. And we have massive untapped potential that we've only really begun to scratch the surface of. So, And in fact, over the last decade, uh, wind energy has been the largest source of new electricity generation in Canada which is indicative of sort of the growth that we're seeing in these technologies. So, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, these technologies essentially were marginal niche technologies that didn't contribute significantly at all to Canada's electricity production. And now taken together, these technologies contribute over 8% of Canada's electricity demand. So that's where we are today, but the real sort of enthusiasm and optimism, I guess, is looking forward. Uh, because we're confident that these technologies actually are going to represent the major source of new electricity generation for decades to come. And I'll just reference uh, Bloomberg New Energy Finance, an uh, organization that sort of tracks developments in the energy space. They project that 77% of global investment in new electricity generation between now and 2050 is going to go to wind, solar, and storage. And they actually project that By 2050, wind and solar will represent 56% of global electricity supply. So that's an incredible transformation, and there's really three main reasons behind that. Um, The first one, and the most important one, is economic. Uh, These are technologies that have seen dramatic declines in cost. The cost of solar and battery storage has fallen by 90% in the last decade. Cost of wind energy has fallen by 70% in the last decade. And now we can say in Canada, for example, uh, wind energy is the lowest cost source of new electricity generation available in the country and solar energy is not far behind. So economics, sorry, economics are driving a lot of interest in these technologies at this time.
0: Okay. So I understand that, but I've got a small, and I don't want to go too far off base or off track, but. I want, to, I want to give you an example of a, a real world example of, the, of how I, don't, I, I can't understand the economics mm-hmm. from in my own perspective. So I own a small cattle ranch in Saskatchewan. So I have a dugout to provide water for my cattle. And it, in fact, this past weekend, I was looking at the, path, the, the, uh, the pond has a fair amount of uh, algae in it. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking at sources of uh, aeration and, and oxygenization to take the the uh, algae out, because over time, and as the summer comes along and it gets hotter, that won't get any better. So I went to a few sources for oxygenation, and long story short, to, aer- to aerate my pond would cost about $5,000 with a two-horsepower uh, electric motor. For the same provider, they provide a solar alternative, but that's 20000 So how do I square that circle?
1: Uh, It's squared by recognizing the differences that come with economies of scale. So when I talk about the the sort of the cost competitiveness of these technologies today, this is when they're supplied at a utility scale. So for example, both Alberta and Saskatchewan have recently held procurements for new wind energy. And in those procurements, the contracts that were ultimately signed were such that wind energy would be provided in both Alberta and Saskatchewan for less than four cents a kilowatt hour, uh, which is significantly cheaper than any other alternative, including natural gas at this point in time. As you get smaller and you're looking at uh, applications that are distributed, even for example, solar rooftop on a house is definitely more expensive than a large scale uh, solar farm. But the cost trends that we're seeing are continuing. And so right now, I mean, the IEA, the International Energy Agency actually just released their report where they call solar energy the king of electricity going forward. And actually the provider of the lowest cost source, this is an IEA quote, lowest cost source of electricity we've ever seen. Um, But again, that's at that utility scale. So, but with the technological advances, we'll see those costs will continue to come down across all scales going forward.
0: So could you, could you predict that, and I don't want you to, you know, we're not asking anyone to go out on a limb, but what's the point in time when it's economic across every buyer? Like, I hear that, but I don't see it.
1: Well, I mean, I think, it you know, it looks, if you look at different, uh, different jurisdictions, so if you're looking at putting solar on a, uh, on a household, for example, on the roof, um, what is gonna determine the economics of that are a few things. Firstly, how much production are you gonna get, which is gonna be determined by your roof and the angle and everything like that. What can you do with the power? Can you sell it back into the grid if you have excess power and get get paid for that? And that has an impact on the economics. Uh, Do you combine it with a battery in your basement that actually allows you to store the power and only sell it to the grid when the price is best? So there's a number of different things, but in a number of jurisdictions where solar is more advanced than in Canada, and electricity prices are admittedly higher than they are in Canada, uh, solar is already economic (laughs) and going forward. So I'm
0: sure, certain, especially in climates that are, you know, that that there's more uh, heat value in the sun. Like I, that that was going to be my next question. Like I lived in Arizona for a decade. You know, I can see where you know the economics are different with the amount of sunlight. Having said that, Alberta has more sunny days i think than anywhere in canada um but is this you know it's also in january it's hardly above the horizon so explain to me again how even at scale in alberta or saskatchewan solar can be economic even at scale
1: oh well it's at scale it's it's going to the, the the cost of producing the power is is not changing throughout the season what's what is what is changing is the production right it's Wind and solar are variable sources of generation. Right, and that's why uh, the sort of future evolution of the grid is absolutely critical to enabling the larger scale deployment of these technologies. So we spoke a little earlier about energy storage.
0: Yeah, yeah. One. Let's go there because that was yeah. that's the, that's the most intriguing part of what I wanted to discuss today because I have zero understanding, and I think that largely the the listener does as well because it's the key, right? Because you don't have redundancy of. of Having said that, the, the melding of wind and solar is wonderful because at least you've, you've taken the redundancy from 100% to something less than that without backup. So theoretically, you've got one with some, with some of the other, et cetera. But the big deal is if you
1: can store it. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, and storage becomes more critical at higher and higher levels of penetration. I mean, right now we have parts of Canada uh, in. PEI, admittedly a small market, but 30% of electricity comes from wind. Uh, In Nova Scotia, 15% already comes from wind, and that's not with any storage, per se. So you can get significant penetrations already within existing grids, but if you want to go higher, storage is going to play an important role. Uh, You're right, that wind and solar themselves are complementary. Wind, of course, production peaks in the winter and in the evening, usually. Uh, Solar peaks in the summer and in the daytime, for obvious reasons. Um, but what energy storage does is it allows you to take energy that is produced from either wind or solar to store it and release it back into the grid at another time when wind and solar would not be available. And there are a range of energy, techn- or energy storage technologies, some which serve to um, only store, uh, store the energy for seconds or minutes, others which store it for hours, others which can store it for months. Batteries are the most common energy storage technologies that are talked about today, and they will hold uh, the power for several hours, which allow you to shift sort of production, perhaps from if production is happening when you haven't got peak power to hold on to it and then release it into the grid when they have peak power. But Canada also has an electricity grid that is 60% hydroelectricity. A lot of that hydro is reservoir hydro, which actually can also serve as energy storage. Because you can use, when you're producing with wind and solar, you can hold that water behind the dam. And you're in, the, in the essence essentially storing that water there. And then when wind and solar is dropping off, you let the water through the dam and go forward. So Canada has tremendous potential, actually, probably more than almost any other country, to move to a fully decarbonized electricity grid because of the massive wind and solar resources that exist and also the strong hydroelectric backbone that exists throughout the country. So energy storage at this point in time in Canada is still relatively modest, I would say, aside from the existing hydro base. Um, but we see a lot of work going on in different jurisdictions, Ontario and Alberta, for example, where there's work being done to redesign electricity market rules to actually recognize energy storage and allow it to participate in the market. Because energy storage is it's it's a disruptive technology. You know, electricity markets have usually dealt with we have something that generates electricity, something that transmits electricity, something that uses the electricity. Energy storage does all three of those things. And so the market rule, <laughs> uh, market rules don't really recognize that technology and provide a way for it to function within the existing structure. But those reforms are now underway. And you see, if you look in Alberta at the Q in the Alberta Electricity System Operator, there are a whole bunch of energy storage projects that are looking to come on to the system at this point in time that can provide tremendous value to the system, not just in terms of helping to integrate wind and solar, but also to, if you have an area with uh, a congested transmission line, where all of a sudden you're saying, we can't produce anymore because the line is full. Well, you could produce more and store it. And then when the line is is not as full, you could put it into the system. Avoid the need to build a new transmission line. So these technologies are, are fundamentally forcing us to rethink how electricity grids work. And just like we've seen disruptive technologies in in many aspects of society, what's happening with smart grid technologies, artificial intelligence, energy energy storage, distributed energy resources, are going to move us away from this traditional electricity system of, you got a big generating station, hundreds of miles of transmission line, and then you get to where you're using the power. To a much more diverse system a much more distributed system a much more interconnected system and frankly a much more participatory system because individuals will also be able to play a greater role
0: it's baffling a bit or mind sorry not baffling mind-boggling because i i'm too much of an old guy to understand this um over my life i've looked at you know you got generation like you say you got transmission you got usage and uh, it is a it, it is a dynamic and disruptive market So the more you can do to help Canadians understand that, the better, because I think that there's too many people like me who are seriously ignorant to how it, how this can change things. Um, Robert, the federal government is projecting to apply $17 billion to green economic recovery. How does this help the renewable energy sector? What do you guys take out of the budget?
1: Now, I'll step back a little bit and say it's not just the budget. The government had previously announced their climate plan in the fall, but a healthy environment, a healthy economy. They had their fall economic statement. And there are a number of measures throughout all of those things that actually will help to to drive renewable energy forward. In the budget itself, perhaps the biggest thing was uh, commitment to investment in large energy retrofits of buildings. Because energy retrofits have traditionally been thought of as, well, we're going to improve the efficiency. But now they're also increasingly thought of, we're also going to look at energy self-supply and energy independence and energy security. So that's opening up new opportunities there. Uh, Earlier in the fall economic statement, there was a commitment made to, uh, to funding for a smart renewable and grid modernization program, which actually touches exactly on what we were just talking about. How do we take these disruptive technologies and take full advantage of them? recognizing that, you know, for uh, uh, an electricity system operator has one job. They have to match supply and demand. And with these technologies, they have a much bigger range of options to manage that now. We don't have to just make adjustments on the supply side. We can make adjustments on the demand side. We have smart grid technologies that allow us to reduce demand by turning everybody's thermostat down half a degree. then we don't need new generation to deal with that. So there's a whole range of tools that we're, we need to invest in the infrastructure to enable us to take full advantage of them. I guess the other thing I would say is that the federal policies in general have put in place some larger sort of overarching initiatives that are critical to sending signals to the private sector and to industry about where investments uh, have the most promise going forward. Things like the carbon price going forward, which is You know, very clearly sent a signal that uh, providing an incentive to invest in lower carbon technologies as opposed to higher carbon technologies. Uh, We have things like the clean fuel standard that the government is working on as well. Uh, The budget also contained measures to deal with one of the areas where we're gonna have the biggest challenge in terms of greenhouse gas emissions, and that is in heavy industry, where there may be opportunities to electrify, there may be opportunities to use hydrogen instead of fossil fuels, um, but we're at an early stage in figuring that out. And so the budget provides a number of incentives to do that. And if we create more opportunities for the use of electricity or the use of green hydrogen, that will also provide significant opportunity for renewables going forward.
0: So I've got a couple other things about that relate to that. Um, but uh, before we go on to that, what, what do you say to, to a guy, someone who asks you about the, re- the resilience and redundancy of both your technologies? Like, The sun doesn't shine all the time and the wind doesn't blow all the time. So in Alberta, we have a large wind component. I have lived here in Alberta, Mm -hmm. Saskatchewan all my life. I understand wind. (laughs) It's almost always windy, but it isn't always windy. Mm -hmm. So here in Alberta, we'll be off cold, I guess, by 2030. We have an infinite supply of natural gas that can provide electrical generation at cents on the kilowatt. And I, I, I don't understand enough about energy markets but somewhere along the line the consumers paying that helping pay you that four cent a kilowatt hour is he not like it's there has to be a subsidy in there somewhere because it can't you can't produce the wind energy for four cents a kilowatt hour and and have a capital and have a return on your capital is that not a is that not true
1: oh no you can produce wind energy for four cents a kilowatt hour and have a return on capital and return money. cap
0: and return the capital to the yeah. provider at a, at a rate of return that he can live with yeah. So walk me through somebody who's done that.
1: Uh, in Alberta's most recent procurements for wind energy, um, I can't remember the exact numbers. Several hundred megawatts of procurements. The average price that was bid in uh, to the system and the contracts were signed for were three point was I believe three point seven cents a kilowatt hour. Really? Yeah.
0: For so how does that how does that provider provide the power? If it's not windy, I, I, I'm sorry to be I, 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 like a, that's a, he's,
1: he's, he's only, so the provider is only getting paid for when he's producing the power. And so what somebody, if I'm a, if I'm a wind energy project developer, I'm going to base my assessment on how much power I expect to be able to produce over the course of a year. I'm going to base that on my assessment of the wind resource. I know I'm not going to be producing all the time. Um, but I look at how much I'm going to be able to produce over the source of the year. I look over my costs, what that would cost to set up the wind turbines to do that, and that leads me to the price of power I'm willing to accept to do that. So what that's saying is that these technologies, when for the amount that they're producing, um, are economic at those prices. Okay. Um, last week, the
0: Biden held this climate summit um, can you comment on that? And it, it, leads to the, to how, how I'd like to wrap this up because uh, you, you mentioned energy security and, you know, the focus of this podcast is energy security and the, the, and the crossover of, you know, I know that we have a quite a bit of interdependence in electric, electrical generation in ca- between Canada and the United States, more particularly the Maritimes and Manitoba and North Dakota. Um, well, wh- wh- how does, how does wind and how do wind and solar fit into those, uh, schematics?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So the first thing I'll say about the climate summit is the, uh, I mean, the Biden administration has set some very aggressive targets now for greenhouse gas. Not as
0: aggressive as Canada.
1: (laughs) No, it is actually, well, I mean, I guess there's different ways to make it. They have quite a bit
0: better track record of reduction than we do.
1: Yeah, and that's fair. And they've said now, the U.S. has said they will reduce emissions by 50% by 2030 and move to net zero by 2050. The Biden administration has also said they want to move to a decarbonized electricity grid by 2035, so 15 years. And that's a bigger challenge in the United States than in Canada. They have a lot more coal-fired generation. They have a lot more natural gas-fired generation. They don't have the same hydro base that we do. So they have a huge task ahead of them to get to that 2035 target. And that opens up real opportunities for Canada uh, in two ways. Uh, One, it opens up opportunities to export clean electricity to the United States. And we already see that happening in the northeastern part of the country where the province of Quebec is signing agreements with uh, states like Massachusetts and New York uh, to export hydroelectricity to help them reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. We can also use hydro resources to help manage the variability of wind and solar production in the United States, which will also be increasing significantly to meet these targets. And for example, Manitoba Hydro has an agreement with Minnesota, where Minnesota uses the hydro from Manitoba to help balance the variability in their wind and solar production. So there are lots of opportunities for partnerships there. Um, uh, there, You're gonna see growth in wind and solar in both countries (laughs) in a significant way going forward. Um, And in fact, I think one of the the interesting things will be now is that uh, with the US stepping forward in a way that wasn't the case in the last few years, it's going to create a situation where there's going to be much more competition for investment and where people who are actually making investments in wind energy, solar energy and energy storage are going to be looking and saying, well, where does it make the most sense for me to go? The US is looking like a heck of an attractive market at this point in time for these types of investments. And it'll be a challenge for Canada to compete for that. We're a smaller market. Um, We don't have the same need to decarbonize in the electricity grid right now as the U.S. does. And that means that sort of we need to signal that there's gonna be demand for these technologies going forward in Canada. And that's going to come through strategies to electrify, whether it's electrifying transportation or buildings or industry. It's going to be through strategies that allow us to increase the use of hydrogen for long-distance transport or for for industry, those types of things will ensure that um, investors will look to this market as a destination for investment in these technologies going forward.
0: Yeah, that, that's one thing I wanted to touch on. I, I wrote down financing here as you were uh, opening up the discussion, and yeah, I, you know, having spent most of my life in the energy sector in the high in the oil and gas business, I I've seen the shift at the big uh, PE, private equity and uh, uh, investment firms, especially in London and and New York to renewables, more specifically wind and solar. So our, and I'll I'll try to plug some of your, you don't have to mention names, but I'm certain, I'm sure that some of the companies you represent are trying to act globally because of their Mm -hmm. uh, new technologies. And well, can you speak a bit about that on that front for Canadian companies that are doing things that could be really
1: disruptive? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, uh, you know, we don't have in Canada, to be honest, uh, a really strong manufacturing base in in either wind or solar. Um, having said that, um, we are large markets. We have a lot of experience with uh, with uh, construction, provision of services, environmental assessment, operating these technologies in cold climates, all of these sorts of things, which are skill sets that do have value in many other jurisdictions. And so you do see a lot of Canadian companies now actually active in the US market and going forward. It's a very competitive place, but they're going there. Uh, You see an increasing number that are active in the Caribbean, for example, and, and starting as well in Europe, Um, especially Quebec based companies are getting quite active in France and some other countries in Europe as well. So, but it goes both ways. I mean, if we look at our membership, for example, or, or the Canadian market, I mean, this is a multinational industry. So we have large Canadian players in this market in Canada. We have the Enbridge and the Suncores and the Brookfields and companies like that, but we also have active in the Canadian market, Electricité de France. Uh, NextEra from the United States, Uh, Renewable Energy Systems from the UK, ENEL, which is the Italian National Utility, Uh, the Portuguese National Utility as wind farms in Canada. So it is truly a global industry, and these companies, including Canadian companies, are looking around the world for where their best investment opportunities lie, and that's why it will be important for Canada to to recognize that it is going to be competing for these funds. You're absolutely right. There's a lot more money sitting there right now, willing to finance these sorts of investments, but the demand is also growing exponentially. <laughs> so there still is a competition to secure those resources.
0: Well, and in Canada, I hate to, I, I've been pounding this table for years about the, uh, our inability to get in, to get infrastructure built in a timely manner because of regulatory hurdles, et cetera. And I, I think that your, you know, your businesses Suffer from the same gridlock, and I, you know, we're going to get left behind if we don't uh, uh, continue to try to foster all forms of of uh, energy. Let's just talk about security for the this the last couple of minutes here, Robert. How do you see renewable energy that's not hydro playing a part in Canadian energy security going forward?
1: Well, I think in a few ways. Um, I mean, the first one is in terms of. I think renewables help to support energy independence. Um, We have, as I mentioned earlier, vast untapped resources, (laughs) of wind and solar. Um, And unlike most of Canada's energy bounty, um, these are available across the country. I mean, every province has access to wind and solar. Um, And that means that we have the opportunity to uh, pursue sort of economic development. Um, providing a lot of benefits for local communities in that regard across the country. And in the end, as we move towards targets like net zero, and we recognize that we're going to need to use this power to help substitute for fossil fuels, at least in part, in areas like transportation and other areas, it also has the potential to reduce our reliance on imported fuels, for example, going forward. Um, From a environmental perspective, I think this also provides some important security in terms of, you know, we talk a lot about these technologies being solutions or contributors in terms of helping us to address the climate change challenge, but they also bring a lot of other environmental benefits as well. Um, You know, no air pollution, no water pollution associated with them, uh, no toxic waste produced by them. Uh, you do have to be concerned about what you do with these technologies when they reach the end of their life. And so life cycle considerations and recycling are important. But overall, uh, they provide more environmental benefits, I guess, in that regard as well. And then the last thing I would just mention in terms of security is that there, I, I think it comes down to that question of resiliency <laughs> in the end. Uh, when we move to an electricity grid that is more distributed, uh, that is more diverse, has a broader range of technologies that each have different attributes, that uh, AI and smart grid technologies allow us to interconnect more closely, um, that's going to provide resiliency and security as well. Um, it's going to make it easier to get through the transmission line that comes down, for example, because we will have actually a microgrid within a community that's able to function on its own without the transmission line. So. There are a number of, I think, benefits that are coming with these changes, um, and I think that's what makes them sustainable in the end. The the, the energy transition that we're seeing um, will help us to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, but if that was the sole driver, I'd be concerned about the sustainability and viability of it. Right. But it's also being driven by economics. It's also being driven by uh, uh, considerations around independence and security, and I think that's what's going to make it sustainable. That's
0: very good, Robert. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, we've just scratched the surface. Um, and I look forward to having you on again. I, 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 you know, we'll, we'll diarize to, to get you back on the show in a, or a six months to a year and see where things are at. And, and uh, I'm sure I'll get some feedback from my listeners here and uh, uh, we'll have some more questions for you. Thanks a lot. I have one last question. We always ask our, our guests what they're reading these days.
1: Yeah, and uh, I, I knew that question was coming, and uh, yeah, no, I'm actually reading right now the the uh, Barack Obama autobiography of Promised Land, um, which I have found really fascinating uh, just as, a, as an overview of a, a number of the challenges that we're facing, um, but also as a, a really strong reality check about some of the some of the difficulties and uh, and frankly, and challenges of making progress on addressing some of those issues. And I think it's provided some, uh, uh, you know, you feel like you get a little bit of an insider view in terms of how some of these discussions take place. It's, it's been interesting. That's great. And thanks again for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: And thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Energy Security Cubed on the Canadian Global Affairs Podcast Network you can find the CGI network on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. If you like the show, give us a rating. You can also find the Canadian Global Affairs Institute on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you like this episode and want to help us keep creating content, you can support us by donating at cgai.ca support. Energy Security Cubed is brought to you by our team at CGI. Thanks go out to our producer, Seth Scott and Charlotte duval Lentoine and to Drew Phillips for providing our music. I'm Kelly Ogle. Thanks for joining us on Energy Security Cube.